from like up the stairs and he's like, Pretty crazy, right? I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I think I've read that. We were like, oh well the next time we come, we're gonna come with Emma and she's gonna be like four, you know, and she's gonna wanna steal the So we're at the wrong airport. Like what do you do when you're at the wrong airport? You know when it takes the picture at the top? There's this person's hand right in front of my face and I don't getting nicer and I was like, what are you doing? You're freaking out. Thank you though. <laughs> One of the kind of amazing things that I feel like I've experienced that I think is like a spiritual thing or God thing is like the bridge got shut down because there was like this massive oil tanker that like caught on fire. We were praying and, and all of a sudden like the clouds like part. Like I mean this is like weird. It was like the clouds part and we could see base camp. My name is Brian Mengel and I am short. There is no getting around it. There is no denying it. I am not what you consider a tall man. I've never been accused of stealing cookies from the top shelf cookie jar. I've never been responsible for placing the star on the Christmas tree without a stepladder. I learned this week the CDC has determined the average height for a man in America is 5'8", and my license says I'm 5'5", but I'm actually 5'4". And a half, and a half. I'm short, you know it, I know it. And our senior pastor, Pastor Bob Marvel, knows it too. And maybe you've noticed in recent months he's taken opportunities to point out this fact from this very platform. If you need evidence, take a look at this. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer Look at this TV still short from last week from Brian. We forgot to raise this up. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> it just, I just all of a sudden I noticed. Normally I'm like, okay, so. Anyway, uh, Brian, I love you. Let's go back to the Bible. It just, it just, it's, okay, never mind. Uh, we've even brought this screen down to Pastor Brian elevation. So that'll be, uh, oh, yeah. I can barely walk. No sympathy. Pastor Brian's born short. Yeah, okay, well. I often cry myself to sleep to those clips. Why on earth am I lamenting about this? It's because I empathize with today's story worth telling. And on that note, welcome to our fourth week in our summer series. Welcome to those watching online at cornwallchurch.com in Boca, to everyone here in Bellingham and to my church family at our Skagit campus. The stories of this series are likely not new to you. These are stories that you grew up hearing. So the goal of the teaching pastors is to find and discover and illuminate something new, something new to help you and I see and reflect Jesus better, to possibly overturn stones that maybe you've seen and walked by Previously, Today, we're going to head to the Gospel of Luke to observe an encounter and an interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. 
But before we dive in, I want to read Eugene Peterson's interpretation of this encounter in the message. Now, a note about the message. It's not a translation, but an interpretation. Best used for illustration or flavor, or in this case, to present in story form using common English. So here's how this encounter reads in the message. Then Jesus entered and walked into Jericho. There was a man there, his name Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with a crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I'll pay four times the damages. Jesus replied, Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. It's a great story, right? A protagonist in Zacchaeus, antagonist in the naysaying crowd, and a hero in Jesus. A beginning, a middle, and an end. But as I have poured over these nine short verses, I'm convinced there's more to discover in these narrative verses. So let's dive in. Luke begins in verse 1 by saying, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus. Pause the story. Now, in these verses, the scene is set. Jesus on his way to town. Zacchaeus has a desire to see him. But Zacchaeus faces an uphill battle right from the get-go. Number one, he's a tax collector in the region of Jericho. And if you know your Bible history, you know tax collectors were not the most popular of people. On the whole, this position was known for men who were filling their own pockets and cheating out taxpayers, and more so, they worked for Rome. So that means they were thought of as collaborators with the enemy, traitors to their own people. But his occupation was really only half the challenge of the day. His second... It goes on, but he was short, and he could not see over the crowd. Hashtag, the struggle is real, people. <laughs> so without any friends in the crowd and being too short to see, what is his solution? Verse 4 says this, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus was determined he was determined to see Jesus. Now, now, the truth is this. Seeing Jesus is optional for us. Now, true, his creation is all around us, but it's ours to choose to see him, to see what he's up to, to see his workmanship, to see the people he's placed in our lives. That means that sometimes we have to change our vantage point to see Jesus, Sometimes you've got to change your vantage point to see Jesus. Last year on our trip to Disneyland, we like to end one of our days seeing this particular show that sits along the riverbanks 
of America. It is a great show. It's a very popular show. So to get a great seat, you got to get there early. And on this trip, we decided to do that. We parked early. We got a great seat. But as the crowds began to fill in around us, our great viewpoint became less and less great. And by showtime, we were struggling to see. So my kids, who have the same height challenges as their dad, had to change their vantage point. And so up a light post and onto a brick wall they went so they could see, so they could see the show. It seems obvious to say, but if you can't see, you gotta move. But how often do we default to grumbling and complaining instead? Choosing to see is on us. And that means sometimes you have to move to a new vantage point. It means that you have to climb the sycamore tree of your life. And it means asking the question, am I willing to fight for the sight of Jesus? Am I willing to fight for the sight of Jesus? In other words, is seeing Jesus that important to me? For Zacchaeus, it was the crowds that were blocking his view. But for you, what is in the way of you seeing Jesus? Now really think about this. Is it time or a lack of time? Is it sports, playing or watching? Is it hobbies? Is it work? Is it priorities? Is it expectations? Is it your family? Is it legalism? Is it social media? Then once you've identified what's in the way, You've got to choose to change your vantage point. And that'll look different for all of us. Maybe it means creating a dedicated quiet time first thing in the morning or sometime during the day. Or maybe it's a little less screen time, more looking up and less looking down. The truth is barriers are inevitable. It's what you do to see around those barriers that's up to us. And our willingness to fight For the sight of Jesus, that indicates our love, our devotion to him. So seeing Jesus clearly means sometimes moving to a different vantage point. When Luke continues, Jesus now will take center stage of the story. In verse 5, it says this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, in this brief blip of the story, Jesus does two things for us. Number one, Jesus shows, Jesus sees people. He sees people. And maybe that seems like an obvious statement, but there is a difference between seeing and looking. Ronnie Floyd, who's the president of the National Day of Prayer, said this. He said, we look at an accident on the freeway, but do we see the damage to the people involved? We look at a husband and wife straining to appear normal, but do we see the widening gaps in their marital foundation? We look at Facebook for happy, smiling photos, but do we see the stories behind those photos? You see, looking takes but a moment because it stops at the surface, but seeing requires us to process information and connect the dots and sympathize, and respond, and understand. And that's what Jesus was all about. Think about his time in ministry. Jesus had much to look at. 
But Jesus chose to see people with great intentionality. And seeing people led to Jesus emotionally connecting with them. For example, in in, in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus, he's been traveling and he's been teaching and people are constantly around him. And he gets to a place where in Matthew it says this, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't look, wasn't quick, he saw them. And it caused a heart change in him. All around us are people who need Christ. Do we see them? All around us are friends and coworkers and neighbors who are desperately wanting to be connected somehow but are entrenched in loneliness. Do we see them? All around us are believers struggling in their walk with Christ, working out their faith. Do we see them? Seeing people as Jesus sees people ought to stir in you a holy discontent. A holy discontent because when we see people as Jesus does, our heart gets engaged. Emotionally, you become involved. This was the burden, it was the conviction behind the song, Give Me Your Eyes, written by Christian songwriter Brandon Heath. The song, the chorus, goes like this. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Brandon says, this song was inspired by my people watching at the airport. When Jesus gives us his vision, we get to see through his eyes and see people the way he sees people so that we can love people the way he loves people. He said, let us be challenged as Christ followers. You see, it's important to note Jesus wasn't passing through admiring sycamore trees in the area and happened to see Zacchaeus in the tree. Jesus was highly intentional. He looked up and sees him. I remember several years ago watching a a TED Talk And the gentleman speaking had been homeless for over a decade. He was sharing about his life experiences, and he said this at one point, give me money or don't give me money, but please see me. People long to be seen, and Jesus was an expert at it. So one, Jesus shows us he sees people. Number two, he shows us he knows people. Jesus knows people. It's estimated that the United States is home to 326 million people. India, at about 1.3 billion. And as of this morning, they say about 7.6 billion people inhabit the earth. And let this rock your world. Jesus knows everyone by name. Jesus knows not only who you are, but where you are, and what you're going through, and how that makes you feel And what's coming next in your life and how you'll feel about it, he knows everything about you because he knows you personally. In John 10, Jesus gives us a great visual picture of how he knows us. He says this, I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Lots of great words here. Good and shepherd, and if you know the Bible, you know good really means great, amazing, fantastic, excellent. The shepherd 
Jesus shepherding us, watching over us, patiently caring for us. But the word here that's key is the word no. It's no. The biblical no here is a reference to the God knowing. The root meaning here is a deep knowledge of or an intimate knowledge of. There's a difference in the knowing. For example, as a fan, I I know of Edgar Martinez. But personally, I don't know Edgar Martinez. There's a key in the word know. Jesus knows people. Again, in John's gospel, he says this, the sheep recognize my voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It should be no surprise then, when the shepherd says go left, the sheep go left. When he says go right, they go right. A good shepherd knows the flock each and every sheep. So for Jesus, the know here refers to a deep and personal knowing. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I know that kind of knowing. I've known my kids since the day they were born. God's got you there too. He's known you before you even had a thought, before you were a blip on the screen. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That's the Lord. That's Jesus. He knows you. He created you. No one tops his knowing. Last year, I saw an interview with J.K. Rowling, and at one point, she was asked if she knew how her characters might react to real-time current events. And J.K. was almost appalled by the question. And she quipped back, yes, of course. And the interviewer said, how can you be so sure? She said, I created them. I created every character. So I know everything there is to know about every one of them. Rick Warren says it this way. You may be afraid to get close to Jesus because you think he's going to scold you for all the things you've done wrong. But instead, Jesus wants to affirm you. He wants to let you know how much he loves you. All of Zacchaeus' life, he'd been rejected and ridiculed. So imagine the shock of this moment for Zacchaeus at this time, because Jesus not only saw him, but Jesus knew him by name. Jesus showed he knew him. John Piper says it's hard to overemphasize what a tremendous privilege it is to be known personally, intimately, and lovingly by Jesus. It is a precious gift to all of his sheep, and it contains within it the promise of eternal life. David writes in Psalm 139, in part, this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Search me, God, and know my heart. If you have not read Psalm 139 in its entirety, do that today. I wish I could have been there as David penned out these thoughts to God about this true knowing that God truly knows us. 
Keller Hickson is one of our Edge Middle School students in Skagit, and he said on a retreat last year, it's incredible that Jesus knows me better than I know myself. Jesus knows you deeply. That was Jesus for Zacchaeus, and that is Jesus for you. So even with all the junk that you bring to him, all the stuff that, make, that you think makes you unworthy, Jesus loves you anyway. He sees you and he calls you by name. There is such a power in knowing and understanding and believing what that means. And sometimes we need that reminder that God calls us forgiven and chosen, wanted and loved. So with Zacchaeus being seen and known, what's his reaction? So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I suspect that is an understatement. I'm sure he jumped out of that tree so fast. But what about the reaction of the bystanders? Not as kind. Take a look. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Can you imagine this scene? Zacchaeus, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector, so we can assume there are tax collectors under him. So in the eyes of the crowd, Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst. Maybe they're saying, how on earth could Jesus be with? Does Jesus know who this guy is? I can't believe. Why in the world? Some translations will actually speak to the volume of the crowd, because I assume they weren't being shy about their commentary about Jesus' selection for dinner guests. As a reminder then, we as Christ followers, we are called to be lovingly bold with those that try and shut you down. We're called to be lovingly bold to those who try and shut us down. To this day, there are still naysayers in the faith. Maybe you're thinking of one now. There are still antagonists of Jesus. But let me be clear about this Cornwall. We are to be lovingly bold because these people need Jesus too. So the crowds are muttering about, and, Jesus, and, and Zacchaeus is not deterred. In fact, quite the opposite. In verse 8, it says this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. This moment reminds me of the movie Elf, when Buddy the Elf storms into his dad's business meeting at an inopportune time, but he bursts in and says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. He just is filled with this blissful, unapologetic exhilaration, like a prisoner set free. Overwhelmed, I think this is Zacchaeus. This moment causes in him an instant desire to show Jesus he wants to take advantage of this do-over. A desire to show Jesus this change of his heart, an outward action indicating an inward change. And Jesus' response is celebration and declaration. Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
Consider Zacchaeus and the witnessing crowds in this very moment. A hated tax collector in a moment becomes a beloved member of the family of God. An affirmation that Jesus came to welcome everyone to the table. Jesus was about inclusion, not seclusion. Jesus modeled for us that everyone has a place right next to him, even a greedy, cheating tax collector. Now, interestingly enough, if you look back one chapter in Luke, Luke records another interaction with another man and another unruly crowd. Don't turn there. I'll put it on the screen. Luke 18 says this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So imagine the scene, the blind beggar here, the crowds, Jesus is entering. This guy is saying, what's going on? It's Jesus, but be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. And so what does he do? Well, he shouted all the more. He shouted all the more. He was lovingly bold to those who tried to shut him down. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus' reaction is this. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Jesus stopped. He saw. But that's not the end of the story. Look at the final verse of the chapter. When all the people, when that crowd saw it, they also praised God. Incredible celebration, declaration, all because Jesus stopped and saw and knew. The same people who told him to pipe down were witness to the grace and mercy and love and kindness of Jesus just moments later. So with Zacchaeus and the blind beggar and the observing crowd, it's evident Jesus inspires life change. He inspires life change. And notice it's inspire, not require. Our relationship with Jesus ought to inspire us. It doesn't require us. A relationship with Jesus inspires us to live like him and talk like him and see like him and love like him. Jesus didn't tell or even suggest to Zacchaeus to, to pay back what he stole. Zacchaeus did that. He was inspired through his changed heart, his changed life. And what's profound is that despite all the baggage Zacchaeus brought to Jesus, Despite the storied history that the blind beggar brought to Jesus, Jesus saw and knew and loved them anyway. Scottish pastor George Matheson describes Zacchaeus as uniquely spectacular because he was an average man. He wasn't considered much by those around him, but Jesus saw otherwise. Jesus knew his stature may be small, but his impact 
would be big. Therefore, Jesus doesn't underestimate the underdog. Consider the underdogs of the Bible. You've got Gideon and the Midianites and Moses going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, Noah and the naysaying crowd. Why are you building a boat? And David facing Goliath. In fact, God has a history of using willing underdogs to the crowds that deem them too old, too weak, too absent-minded, or yes, too small. A week ago Saturday, my son Dylan, who's seven, had his final flag football game of the year. It won't surprise you that Dylan is the smallest member of our team. And on this final game of the year, I was on the sidelines, and just down for me were two middle school boys. As Dylan took the field, one boy said to the other, whoa, that kid is not built for football. The other laughed and replied, yeah, what's he going to do out there? As a dad, I boiled internally. Thank you, Jesus, for holding my tongue. On the first play, Dylan gets past the ball, and he went running. He shot down the field with one destination in his sights, the end zone. And moments later, he was high-fiving teammates for scoring the first touchdown of the game. It was soon after that that I heard those middle school boys once again. Whoa, that kid's fast. And the other, seriously, who would have known? His stature may have been small, but his impact was big. Now, am I suggesting Dylan is the next Jake Locker? Not at all. More on that next week. But I am suggesting that Jesus can use anyone for anything when we're willing to take the ball and run. Zacchaeus' story, guys, is not about his height. Zacchaeus' story is about Jesus' redeeming love. It's about Jesus' example of how to see people, know people, and love people. So gut check time. Here's the challenge you take home. How are you doing? Three areas. One, how are you doing having the eyes of Christ? Seeing people like Jesus does. Seeing them as children of God, not the label that society has pasted on them. Seeing people without a prejudgment or assumption. Or actually, seeing people and not just looking at people. Two, how are you doing making time to be with people so that you can know people? Are you willing to invest in people? Are you willing to stop on the roadside like Jesus did? Are you ready for who God might place in your midst to be with? Are you ready to know others and to be known? Number three, how are you doing loving people as Jesus loves people? After you've seen people and been with them, how is your love for them? Unconditional love, despite what the crowds might say. And why? Well, we're called to love because Christ first loved us. Tim Keller once said this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, that is being loved by God. And it's what we need more than anything. I think Zacchaeus' story is a story worth telling this summer because it's ultimately not about him. It's a story about Jesus 
that happens to include Zacchaeus. And it gives us a clear example of how we can live our lives more like Jesus. And perhaps, perhaps it gives us the inspiration to tell someone, I see you. Come on down out of that tree, because I want to be with you today. Skadget, at this time, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Bill. He'll tell you about next Sunday. Looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Boca, and to those online, thanks for being with us. And for, here, uh, for all those here in Bellingham, would you stand as we pray and sing a closing song together? Father, we are grateful for the chance to gather together. We are so grateful that you are a, a good shepherd to us. Good seems like an understatement, but thanks for watching over and, and for caring for us. Thanks for serving as, the, as a great example of how to get our hands dirty and to, to be with people and to really see people like you do. God, thanks for being a good, great, amazing father that wants the best for us and not just telling us how to live, but exampling for us how to live. How we love you, we thank you, and in your name we pray, amen.